to record. There we go. We're on the first Sunday of Epiphany. <clears throat> Christmas is probably the shortest season in the calendar at 12 days, I would imagine. Wait till we get to ordinary time for six months in the summer. Um, but uh, now we're in Epiphany. And I, I was thinking, there's, uh, we, the other day, um, I'm sitting in the TV room and I'm scrolling through all the streaming services there and I realized uh, that we, we had some relatives show up last summer that logged into their uh, HBO Max and it's st still on, right? And Hulu and like all these things that we don't pay for. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And uh, just seeing what they had going on there, you know. And the new Matrix movie was, was on there. So uh, when that came out, uh, Lisa and I were just married and um, we loved that movie. Uh, Sophie was, uh, Lisa was studying um, uh, religion and philosophy at that time at Ashland University, and uh, I just loved it. And so you have this character, Neo, right, who uh, has this sense that something's not right in the world, and he's seeking out this, what he believes is sort of some shadow organization um, with the leader, Morpheus. And the whole thing is about opening his understanding, um, revelation, uh, sort of this idea of epiphany. Um, and then what do you do with the truth that has now been revealed? Um, and what, is that, how, what does that mean for you? And as I was uh, thinking that at some point we can watch this without paying for it, um, <clears throat> I, was, I was reminded of, we started watching uh, the first one just again, and uh, just reminded of uh, the, those the opening dialogues are just fantastically written in that movie. Um, there's not a detail that's missed. Um, but I was thinking that this is very much like the season of Epiphany. So Epiphany follows Advent and Christmas, and Advent is a time of expectation and repentance and making ourselves ready, making room in our lives for the coming Messiah. Um, and then we have uh, Christmas, which is a celebration that the King is here. But now we've got to figure out, what do we do with this? Uh, what do we, something's been revealed. Something's been manifest before us. And what do we do with that? So what, you know, what now? So what would be, I guess, the question of uh, Epiphany. Epiphany starts on, uh, it started this year on the 6th. That was uh, Thursday. It's 12 days after Christmas. And it is celebrated on the 6th um, with a story of th the three wise men. And it's celebrated with, with that story because that is, up until that point, uh, Jesus is revealed, the incarnate God, uh, the infant Christ is revealed to um, the Jewish people, uh, the shepherds and uh, uh, Judaism. Uh, but at that point, the three kings, or I guess they're not three kings, the kings arrive from the east, and we have uh, the Christ is now manifest and revealed to the nations. They represent all the other people groups that are represented uh, on earth, right? So now uh, the Christ is revealed to them. And so it, it carries this theme of manifestation or revelation, uh, but it's also celebrated uh, with the baptism of Jesus, which is why we read uh, that passage. And we read that early because uh, we actually read that passage during uh, Advent, if you remember, uh, the, the exact same passage. So we're going to go to a different one this morning. Um, but the baptism of Jesus is, uh, is sort of thought as the actual manifestation of God as fully God and fully human. He's being baptized like uh, everyone else is being baptized. You have, it even says here that the Spirit came down in bodily form. 
as a dove. And so you have this idea of incarnation as well, even with the Holy Spirit and the voice from God. And so um, Christ is revealed as fully human and fully divine. And so the question uh, that Epiphany uh, sort of celebrates and enters us into is this, what, do, what does this all mean? How do I respond? What do we do now? Um, and it follows logically on Christmas. We have this infant Christ in the flesh. What is that we're celebrating? Well, what does that mean for us? How are we going to uh, respond? It's sort of a DTR conversation, right? Determine the relationship. Um, another show that's been uh, revitalized. I haven't watched it yet, but The Wonder Years, right? I haven't yes. seen I don't know what channel it's on, but I know that it's running again uh, with new characters. And I just remember the tension, right, between who's the main character? I can't remember the character's name. Kevin? Kevin. So it's Kevin and Winnie, right? right? And his friend Paul is there, and he's going to go talk to Winnie at school, you know, in between classes. And he wants to know, does she like me or does she like me like me? You know, and that's, that's a big difference, right? Uh, but that idea that we got to determine the relationship. Well, how are we going to respond? And Epiphany um, is a time where we consider that and we think about it. And after this week, we're going to jump into some passages in uh, 1 Corinthians that talk about love and spirit and all these sort of things where we are thinking about how do we live out this revelation, this uh, relationship with Christ. Um, but today we're going to read from uh, the Hebrew Bible out of uh, Isaiah 43. That's our reading. And the context, I love this. This is such a celebratory text. It's like nothing but celebration of God's work. It's beautiful, and I love it. And, you know, the, the latter half, all of Isaiah is beautiful, but the, some of the, the writing in the, towards the end of that book are just absolutely some of the best poetry you will find in the Bible. And we're going to jump into one of those passages this morning. Um, why don't we, maybe I'll, we'll read it first, and then we'll talk about it. Um, Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 7. says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and, the, and Sheba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from the east and the west, I will say to the north and the south, bring my sons and my daughters back to Israel. From the distant corners of the earth, bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Uh, Isaiah 43, 1-7. So this, is, this story is written uh, while Israel is in exile. And the very short story is uh, uh, that Israel is given this land. Um, and uh, they are to be a, uh, a holy nation, which is set apart for God's glory and God's ways, and they end up being a nation that is much like all the other nations, and they, uh, they could, they're uh, 
they're greedy like other nations. They oppress people like other nations. They engage in idolatry like other nations. And so they end up being very much like other nations. And there's this theme of exile where these, these uh, nations come in and, and destroy. And when that would happen, the nation that was ruling over, they would take people out and send them into exile. Now, this is a, quite a punishment in those days. I don't think we think of it so much because... You know, now uh, many of us have kids that are growing up and they'll be uh, going off to school and who knows if it's going to be on the West Coast or the Midwest or it's going to be down in Southern Maine. You know, the idea of travel, um, it's a smaller world than it used to be. And so uh, back back then, this idea of exile was a really uh, kind of a harsh consequence and punishment that was a reality for many people in that world. And you are living away from everything that is normal. Um, and so it's, it's very harsh. And it's a theme that runs through the entire Bible. So it's worth us taking the time to think about what does this theme mean? I mean, it starts, Genesis chapter 3, you have this garden. They got one thing to live by, one sort of guideline. Don't eat the tree. Uh, don't eat this particular fruit. And the consequence is exile out of the garden. And then at the end, in the book of Revelation, we see everyone coming home. And so that exile theme is still there all the way through the entire Bible. So for us, uh, I don't know, what does that look like, Um, this idea of exile? Maybe a loss of familiarity, a loss of routine, um, being marginalized. There's plenty of people, groups that are marginalized uh, throughout the world right now. Schedules and routines disrupted. Resources and opportunities are scarce. The other day, I just had one of those days where I just felt like I couldn't get out of my own way. Just one of those days where I can't put my finger on it, but I'm just grumpy the whole day and I'm just, I, I feel like I can't get into it. So it can, I think it can be something that's very simple or something that's very profound uh, that we experience. But this sense of loss, the sense of I can't put my finger on it, but it's not quite right. We think of the Matrix, that was the whole thing. He's like, I don't know what's going on in this world, but there's just something that's not right. You know, everything feels like a machine. He finally breaks out of that and sees things clearly. It's an epiphany, right? And so um, it's worth taking that time to think about where do we feel that? You know, a relationship that's broken down. And maybe it's not, we use that a lot. I use that a lot as an illustration, but it may be just a relationship that's drifted apart and you're wondering how to bring that back together or uh, being in a job where we feel like I I don't feel fulfilled I don't know where this is going I feel like uh, sometimes this we call this the midlife crisis where we get to that that point in our life where we realize uh, you know you're looking back more than you're looking forward and you're looking at missed opportunities and regrets and those things start to stack up and it can give us this sense of exile or sort of an existential exile like I'm not really living this life that God has for me, right? So it's worth taking the time to think about that as we enter into this text, which is dealing with Israel's exile. Um, Here's the good news about exile, though, and deserts and wilderness and all that, is those are the places where amazing, amazing things happen, where God breaks through in these unforeseen and extremely powerful ways. Just off the top of my head, you could think of Hagar in the wilderness being kicked out of the home, uh, thinking that she's going to die and her infant baby's going to die, and she sees the well, and uh, she names that place a God who sees me. Now, she gets some hard instructions, but I think what carries her through uh, the hard times ahead are the fact that God is with her, that God sees her. And she's the only woman, I believe, in the Bible to ascribe a name to God. It's a very powerful story. Jacob, um, 
as he's leaving Israel and as he's running from his brother, he's leaving town. He's on the run. His brother's out for blood. And on his way out of town, he has this dream about angels ascending and descending out of heaven. And it's as, as he's leaving this home, this place that we would call home and community and familiarity and uh, place of promise. He's going into exile and he has that dream. And he doesn't have a vision of God until he comes back out of exile. And then we have that mysterious passage where he's wrestling with God uh, through the night. Um, and his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. Um, those are... Those are stories of God acting out in the wilderness in powerful ways. And we have Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism in the wilderness. John the Baptist is announcing the coming of Christ. And, you know, the one is coming that's greater than I am. And be ready. Let's rethink our lives. And Jesus is out there being baptized. And you have this event where the, the voice and the dove and Jesus being baptized. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are there. And uh, behold my son, who I greatly love. Um, very powerful moment in this place that is outside of regular routine and familiarity. So um, exile, um, it's worth uh, thinking about and kind of meditating on. So we get into this passage where uh, this is the book of Isaiah. Sometimes we sense that it's Isaiah speaking. Um, other times it feels like a direct address from God. That's what this one feels like. Either way, it's God speaking through the prophet. And we have this. Uh, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. And there's this reminder. As this people group are suffering in exile, there's this reminder. God created me. God created us. O Israel, the one who formed you says, and here's what you'll see with these sort of poems. They say the same thing two different ways, right? Oh, Jacob, the one who created you. Oh, Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid. Do not. And that shows up twice. This is the central statement right here. Here it is. Do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you my name and you are mine. And that's the central. We're going to come back to it in the second half. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from sea, from east to west. So this idea of do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. So there's this point at which the community feels stuck. And they're in exile for hundreds of years. And I don't know how far in they are at this point. But there's this point at which I don't see the end of this. I'm not sure when this is going to end. But God says, do not be afraid. And here's the command that we see most often in the Bible. Do not be afraid, right? You're living in a land where you don't know the language. You don't know the culture. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know if you'll go home or not. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. It's a big question mark. And it's easy to become afraid in those points. And here it says, do not be afraid. And then we have these beautiful images when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. You ever feel like you're in over your head? Yeah. Right? You ever feel like you're going to be swept away? What's the next image here? When you walk through the fire of oppression, you feel like things aren't fair? You will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And so these are uh, images, especially the deep waters in Israel's memory would have been the exodus out of Egypt through the water. 
And there's using these images that would conjure up uh, feelings of salvation and deliverance and all that that, that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you will not be swept away. You will not find yourself over your head. Now, what's interesting about this, um, I'm going to geek out a little bit with the, with the grammar, but he's speaking to Israel, right? Jacob and Israel. If we see Jacob, if we see Israel, it's the same nation, right? <clears throat> and so you would think it would be you all, y'all. Like Isaiah's talking from the south. You, when, you, when you all go through this, right? And I've talked about this in Paul's letters, that we read it as a singular. You know, I will be with you, but really Paul's writing y'all, you know, among you, you as a community. But here, what's interesting, because he's addressing a community, but it's in singular. It's you. It's singular. And that's extremely powerful because you have this address that is to the community, but because they use a singular uh, uh, pronoun, it's like he's talking just to you, just to you. There's this sense that God is very personal, very with you, that, that you are seen among the many. It's very close. It's very close. I will be with you. He goes on in verse 3, for I'm the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. And here you have these themes of Savior and redemption and salvation, which you get a lot with Jesus, right? That's his name, means one who delivers. And this idea that you will make it through. You will go through this hard time, whatever that may be for you, and God will be with you. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. Now here's where it gets weird. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Sheba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you, and I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. Now, this seems odd. This does not, you get this flavor where you're like, God doesn't seem so loving in this section. In this passage that is so beautiful and so present. And it's important, there's two things we got to remember when we read. these sort of things. Um, number one, this is poetry. Okay, this is not, uh, it's not a historical uh, account. It's poetry. And when we, we, we talk about, um, no, it's not, it's poetry. And when we talk about poetry, there's a lot of uh, uh, symbolism. There's a lot of figures of speech. If I call someone hard-hearted, I don't mean that their heart is actually hard. I'm saying something else by using that language. And so first of all, we have to understand that we have a poem. And the point of the poem here is that God loves us so much that God will be with us. And then when we read these stories about Egypt and Ethiopia and this idea of ransom, a ransom is where you, it's like going to, uh, taking your bottles in, right? You go to take the bottles in. You bought the, you bought the drinks and you paid an extra five cents for that bottle. You bring it back and they're going to buy it back. It's a redemption center, right? So the idea of redemption is that there's something paid to uh, bring someone back. Um, and so God is, what it's saying here is, I, I gave others in exchange for your life. And one of the things we have to remember that in, when, we, when we're reading about the biblical story, okay, we hear about Egypt, we hear about Babylon, we hear about Rome, 
And the way they're thought of is not so much individuals, the, the, the Egyptian mom who's a good mom taking care of her kid and God just gives them away for Israel. The idea is that these nations represent something that is evil. It's a system that is evil. It's a system that oppresses. It's a system that um, is bad. And so the idea here is that God is giving something over evil and redeeming them back, bringing them back. And the idea in a poem like this, and the central idea that's being brought to, to, to light for them as they sit in a foreign nation under foreign rule by a foreign government that doesn't understand their ways and it marginalizes them and everything else is that God brings it back. I see you. I am drawing close and I, I'm gonna, it's going to cost something. I'm going to bring you back. But it is poetry. And if we get too literal with it, it's going to break down what, the, what it means, what it's meant to convey. And what it's meant to convey is that I love you. And I will give for you. I will do what it costs for you. It cost Jesus his life. His life. That God loves us so much. And when we read these, these nations, we tend to think, our, our brain tends to think about, well, what are all, all the individuals? And we have to understand that with this passage of poetry, they're thinking broader terms. A system that is evil, a system that is broken, a system that is marginalizing people will be given over in exchange for your life. As he speaks in a singular, you, you, he sees you. So this first one talks about redemption, this first section. The second half is about coming home. Do not be afraid, he repeats again. I am with you. I will gather you and your children from east and west, I will say to the north and the south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel. So for people that are sitting in exile, this is a very powerful thing. We are going to come home. We're going to get back to what we're familiar to. We're going to go. God will deliver us. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. And I was created... It was I who created them. Bring all who claim me as their God. And so we have this kind of nod to the fact that this will extend beyond Israel. All people who call God, God, will be brought back. And this picture of coming home. And, and home, in this sense, is a place of vulnerability, of safety, of comfort, of familiarity, uh, where God is God, and we are all living as God should be you know, as, as we should be under God. Um, and you have this idea of creation. So you have these two themes of redemption and creation, which is interesting because sometimes we separate those. We think of creation as the voice over the waters, transcendent, powerful, a king who rules. And sometimes we think of redemption as grace and mercy and forgiveness. And here they're all put back together. Those are not separated. They're together. Recreation and redemption, redemption and recreation. Yeah. The God who, the powerful God who creates and rules over creation is the one who is also close and will come to meet us and bring family back. There's a lot of community language here. We are in this together, but he's speaking to us. And what's interesting about this is oftentimes when we come to a passage and it may be talking great things about God and all that God does, 
there tends to be oftentimes um, uh, a call to respond. You know, even um, with John the Baptist, what we already read is that he's out in the wilderness. God is here. I'm a voice. Prepare the way. Um, repent, you know. And so in church, when we hear these passages, sometimes we're like, oh, this is great news, but I got to. There's no but I got to in this. On, a, on the first Sunday in Epiphany, just after Christmas, it's all just God does this. God will deliver us. God sees us. There's nothing that they are called to do here. Just being reassured that God loves, which is what happens at the baptism. Behold my son, who I'm, I have great joy in this person. And I'm convinced that when we awaken or we have this epiphany or we have this manifestation or we have this sort of uh, understanding that God loves us. And I'm convinced that most of the days and most of the weeks, we probably don't realize how deep that is. I don't anyway. Maybe I'm projecting onto all of you. But for me, it tends to happen uh, every once in a while. And when I have that moment, that epiphany, I think, I'll do anything. I don't care what it is. I'm not afraid of whatever you call me to do. Um, and it, does, you know, it just doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if you call me to do nothing. I, you know, it does, it's all good. It's all good. And here we have that passage in our, our Hebrew Bible reading this morning. It's such a beautiful passage that those who are sitting in exile, God has a promise and that's it. It's just a promise that you are loved. I see you. We will regather. We will make it through. And that... God is revealed, and it, and it works out through the, the kind of the history of the nations that eventually Israel returns, and God is a part of that. Sometimes it takes longer than we expect, but while we're waiting, there's that reassurance. Um, <clears throat> so I love it, because in this passage on this Sunday, God is doing all the work. And we can just celebrate that God is with us. Um, <clears throat> but it does beg the question, um, are we going to receive it? You know, how do we respond to those moments where we feel God is so close? We're just ready, like, it doesn't matter what you call me to do. I am feeling that love, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm ready to let go of everything and anything and just do and just be with God, right? And God is calling out to us. Um, Jesus uh, creates a new people on, uh, we don't celebrate this yet, but on Pentecost. And the, he, he is resurrected 50 days later. The Spirit comes down and hovers over a community. And a community is born, much like uh, the first chapter of the Bible. And um, <clears throat> that community goes on and it grows and it calls people to themselves. And our New Testament reading this morning is from Acts. And it's about the Holy Spirit and the work of Holy Spirit and people being baptized, all these themes here. Um, but it's when um, non-Jewish people begin to realize this. And that's what so it ties it into the Three Kings story. In Acts 8, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, 
for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers and they received um, the Holy Spirit. And you see the church grow and you see this prophecy of east and west and north and south and all who call on the name of God coming together. And it's all focused on Jesus and his sacrifice for us, how he redeems us and calls us to himself. Um, on that night, you know, before he dies, he, he says, uh, you know, as often as you do this, remember me. And he does something that's so powerful and so heavily symbolic, much like the language that we're seeing here, where he breaks that bread, says, this is my body. He pours out the cup, says, this is my blood given for you. As often as you gather together, um, do this and remember me. So with that thought in mind, we're going to call... Uh, We'll have Danielle up front here, and John will be out back. We can get the kids. We're going to continue to worship. But I want us to think about exile. And where do we feel that sense of exile? And I'm willing to bet we could all come up with some ways where we feel that we are apart. It's taking too long. That God seems far away. And God comes to us and says, you, I will be with you. Okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your gift of grace and love, your power. Um, and there are times where it's simply we hear that you will be with us, that you love us, that you take great joy in us as you took great joy in Jesus. Um, may we have those moments. I pray that we would have those moments uh, for everyone in the, in the building today and our community uh, this week, this month, one of those powerful moments where we realize that you are for us, you are with us, uh, that you will not allow us uh, to be swept away, um, give us strength, uh, open our eyes, open our hearts, that we may just sit with that love and allow it uh, to change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.